Can you imagine if Jesus appeared to you and told you that you're doing something in your life that's making you an enemy of the cross? You're undermining the work he accomplished in the way you're living? That's the shocking language Paul uses in Philippians 3 to describe a group of people in the Philippian church. Welcome to the Food for Your Soul podcast, where we apply the Word of God to the hearts of men and women to stoke the fires of your delight in Christ. Here's your host, Dr. D. Richard Ferguson. So these people live as enemies of the cross. That's a general description. And then Paul spells that out now in four categories. He talks about four ways that they're enemies of the cross. He talks about their end, their God, their glory, and their mind. He starts with their end. He says their destiny is destruction. Secondly, their God. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their appetites are the ruling authority in their life. Their bodily appetite. That's, that's what calls the shots in their life, is their impulses. They might have all kinds of beliefs and doctrines and ideals, but as soon as an, an appetite rises up, all that stuff's out the window. Everything takes a back seat to their appetites. I mean, they might be really committed to doing this or that, and I'm going to do this. But they get hungry enough, all bets are off. If sexual urge rises up, all bets are off. They get a craving to have a drink, or they get tired enough, or they have a craving to have some fun or some excitement, or what, whatever impulses they're getting from the flesh are coming up, appetites, they're going to override any commitment they have to obeying Christ at that moment. Now again, this happens to all of us, right? This happens to all, all of us do this. But if you're a friend of the cross, what do you do when this happens? What do you do? You, you, you go to the cross, right? You repent. You confess. This is sin. And you turn back to Christ. You say, Christ, this fleshly thing, it's not better than you. You're better. I want to follow you. You're more satisfying. And we repent. We turn back to God. But not these people. Now their God is their stomach. And this is their God. And this is their lifestyle. They're not going to change. This is the way they, they're determined to live. Sad. These people have a God they have to feed. They, I mean, imagine that. You have to feed your God. Imagine having a God that makes all these demands on your life, and that makes demands on your life not to bring you any good, not to bring any good to anybody else, but just to feed itself, just to feed its own desires. Imagine serving a God that, that does no good for you or for anyone else, and it's absolutely powerless. Powerless. Zero help in time of need. Zero refuge in time of trouble. None of that. This God can do nothing about your sin problem. can do nothing about your guilt problem. It can't help you. can't change you. can't guide you. doesn't even love you. Loves itself. Makes only constant demands. Constant demands. Constant demands. And demands instant obedience. And the only thing you get in return is fat. Right? Or lazy. Or drunk. Or broke. Those are the only blessings this God can give you, and yet it demands instant obedience to its every craving. It's the easiest religion there is, because there's only one doctrine. It's the only one commandment in this religion. It's the slogan of Sprite, obey your thirst. Obey your thirst. That's it. That's all you have to do. That's the only, uh, all you have to do to be a member of good standing in this God's religion is instantly, without hesitation, without question, obey your thirst thirst obey your impulses and if you do that then what you get in return is a train wreck of a life in this life followed by eternal disaster and so it's it's sad their their end is destruction their god is their stomach and then the third thing their glory verse 19 their glory is in their shame 
So your glory, that's, that's the, uh, what's beautiful about you. 1 Corinthians 11 says the glory of a woman is her hair. Right? You see women and they've got their hair and you notice that and it's part of what makes them beautiful. That's what glory means. The glory of your life is basically the radiance and the best of you and the most glorious things about you. That's your glory. And these people, the most glorious thing about them is shameful. The best things about them, shameful. The things they're really proud of, ugly. They might say that they prize Christ and, and all that, but if you could see inside their heart, you'd find the things they really treasure the most are just shameful, ugly things. They're nothing good. Think of the people in Isaiah 5.22. It says, Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and champions at mixing drinks. Like, that's their big thing. That's what they're proud of. They, how much they can drink. They might pretend to care about righteousness and holiness and caring for the poor and whatever when they're sitting in church, but if you look into their heart, you'd see the things they're really proud of are just, are just shameful things. A guy that's proud that he can get any girl into bed or a girl that's proud that she can seduce a guy or, or this guy that's proud he can beat someone up and he's tougher than everyone or, or she's proud about her materialism and all her wealth and money and, or he's proud about you know, he can always take advantage of people and he can come out on top of any deal you know, when, he's, when he's selling something or maybe he wastes five hours a day playing video games and he's proud of his high score you know, or... She's proud of her ability to make a fool out of all the girls at school and make them look dumb. The best things about them, the things they're so proud of, are garbage. What a horrible life. Their end, their God, their glory, and then one more, their mind is on earthly things. And this one is the bottom line. Okay, This one is the foundation. This is why they are the way they are. The reason they're the way they are is because their thoughts all day long is on earthly things temporary, temporal things. They're hopelessly nearsighted. Like they're looking at the ground. They're looking at this earth all the time. They try to look up to heaven and just, oh, they can't see. It's all out of focus. They can only see what's right in front of them. Football games are crystal clear in front of their face. They try to look up at heaven, everything's a blur. Football, clear, eternal reward, foggy. Their understanding of the last movie that they watched, crystal clear. It's in sharp focus. Their understanding of the last chapter they read in the Bible, total blur. They're engrossed in this world. I mean, we all live in this world, but they're engrossed in this world. Everything they're living for is part of this world. If you just look at what they're they're putting their energy into, everything they're pouring themselves into is part of this temporary world. Everything they're living for will be gone in a million years. Most of it will be gone in 50. Even the religion is tied to this life. It's earthly. It's just a bunch of humanly devised rules. Or, or just flat out wealth, you know? The people like Joel Osteen, T.D. Jakes, Joyce Meyer, and these people that are into the, this, all wrapped up and getting rich, getting rich, your best life now. You know, Jesus exists to get you the real treasure, which is money and stuff on the earth, and it's all about cars and houses and private jets and swimming pools and diamonds and fame. This world is their home, and they act like it. You can tell it's their home. They're so earthly-minded, they're no heavenly good. They're engrossed in this world. That's what will happen to you. This is what could happen to you, beloved, if, you, if your life style veers off the track of the, of the pattern that Paul laid down. And so he says, watch, use every example you can get to follow this pattern. Learn by example how to get the hang of the Christian life. Because if you don't, look where you end up. Very few people, in my experience, very few people leave the Christian faith because of doctrine. 
Now, they claim it's because of doctrine. You talk to somebody who used to be real excited about following Christ, and they're in the church, and they're all involved, and now they've just walked away from the faith altogether. Whenever you talk to those people, you ask them why. Typically, they'll start out by trying to give you some intellectual reason. Oh, I just couldn't find anybody who could answer my questions about how did Jonah survive in the fish for three days. Or I watched the Da Vinci Code, and I, I read a website, and uh, I found out the whole, the whole Bible's a sham. And, you know, and, uh, I can't worship a God who allows for this thing to happen, and he, let, he had people killed. And they pretend it's doctrine. But you answer all their questions, and you find out they're still just as adamant against Christianity as they were before you answered their questions. And then you, and then you press them. And you ask them, what happened? What happened? And nine times out of ten, you'll find it's one of two things. Somebody hurt them, and they're just mad at God. Or they just want some sin. They just want to be able to do something that the Bible says no. And so... They have these impulses, they have the desires for something in the world. The Bible says no, and so what do they do? They just glom on to whatever website or critic that comes along that has some thing trying to disprove the Bible, and they try to justify their bailing out of the faith because of some intellectual reason, but in reality, they just want to be able to live the way they want to live. Someone very dear to me in my life did this. He, he was one of the most committed Christians you'll ever meet growing up. I just want to be just like him. almost idolized him growing up. And then after high school, he just walked away. He, now he's a Buddhist. And I asked him, why? I said, why? And he says, very simple. He was honest. He says, I, I couldn't live under the sexual restrictions in Christianity. So he walked away. See, most people don't live out their doctrine. They doctrine out their living. You know what I mean by that? They, they pretend that they're living the way they're living because of what they believe, but in reality, they believe what they believe because of the way they're living. They want to live a certain way, and so they invent a set of beliefs that will allow for that, that will endorse that. I was recently debating with a guy on, uh, over email who is very intellectual, uh, highly educated atheist, who's working on his PhD at CU right now. Very precise, very logical thinker in every area except for religion and morals. Like, I'd talk to him about anything, and I said, boy, one thing, just slightest bit off, and he'd correct me, and man, he had it all. A very, very logical thinker, but when it came to religion and morals, I asked him about his beliefs, and they were contradictory, convoluted, incoherent, irrational set of things. Just nonsense. And I pointed that out to him, and he agreed. He said, yeah, yeah, I can see. It's irrational. He says, but that's the way religion is. And he, he was fine with it. Like, Why is he so disciplined and so logical in every area of life, except this one area, his beliefs are such an absolute mess? Well, it's because... He had pieced together a set of religious beliefs that made no sense whatsoever, but they did do the one thing that he wanted them to do, namely, allow him to live the lifestyle that he wanted to live, without guilt. Your lifestyle will, over time, chip away at your beliefs until it gets your beliefs to conform to that lifestyle. That's what will happen. Beliefs follow lifestyle and so paul pleads with us to just be on the lookout for anyone in the church that you can learn from in any area of get so you can get the hang of the christian life do it because if you don't this is what's going to happen to you 
You're going to become embroiled in this world. You're going to become earthly-minded, captivated by temporal things, and locked down and enslaved by things that are part of this world system, which is moving towards destruction. You're going to be swept right along with it to destruction. This is what Paul was saying to Timothy when he said in 1 Timothy 4.16, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Bad doctrine can mess up your life, but bad living can mess up your doctrine too. And so he says, you've got to watch them both. Either way, it ends in destruction. So you've got to watch them both to save yourself from destruction. I don't know about you, but for me, that line, their God is their stomach, really is convicting. There are a whole lot of times when I come awfully close to fitting that description in the way that I respond to my cravings and appetites. The other part that's striking to me from this podcast is the thing about giving all your attention to things that won't exist in a million years, or even in 50 years. How about if we resolve to give some thought today to what we could start pouring ourselves into that would have an eternal impact? And while we're at it, what if we made a conscious effort today to shove the flesh off the throne of our lives and retake control? You'll have numerous cravings and fleshly impulses today. Make an effort to respond to them in a way that shows your body who's the boss. Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode edifying, why not share it with a friend? This season of the Food for Your Soul podcast features excerpts from our sermon series on the book of Philippians, 50 expository sermons covering every verse. You can find those and hundreds of other sermons for free download on drichardferguson.com. Until next time, rejoice in the Lord always and set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God.